Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Carrie Sampson Moore is the Director of Physical Education and Wellness at MIT. She has a bachelor's in physical education, a master's in kinesiology, and she's an elite level athlete. In 1986, she led a national level crew team that won the prestigious Head of the Charles. In 2017, she received the Distinguished Alumni Award from the College of Education and Human Development at the University of Minnesota. Before arriving in Boston, Carrie held posts as an assistant director of the aquatic program at the University of Minnesota Twin Cities, program and event director at Miami University in Ohio, and served as the first program director for recreational sports at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And when she got there, she changed the game. Carrie led the development of a health and wellness curricula featuring stress management, meditation, nutrition, and sport nutrition. She also established an outdoor education curricula that takes students off campus to climb, ski, backpack, scuba, and kayak. And if you're out at MIT, if you ever experience that environment, you'll know just how necessary that is. We're talking about one of the elite colleges in the world where the population consists of literal rocket scientists. Carrie's work in health and wellness is an essential part of that academic environment. We are proud to say that Carrie is not only a friend, but an important advisor to the Good Athlete Project. Tune in to hear from Carrie Sampson Moore, the brains behind physical education at one of the elite universities in the world. To find out more about the Good Athlete Project, find us on social media at Coach the Number Four Kindness. That's Coach for Kindness, or at GoodAthleteProject.com. So my role here is Director of Physical Education and Wellness, and uh, we have an undergraduate requirement, so students are required to complete four courses, um, or eight points, uh, and satisfy a swim requirement. So the four courses, they can take whatever they like. We have about 40 different offerings, everything from team sports, individual sports, wellness, martial arts, dance, something we call extreme PE, where um, we take students off campus to kayak, ski, backpack, scuba, those cool. types of courses. And um, we have a wellness uh, track as, in addition that we're really focusing on personal wellness and addressing nutrition, stress management, meditation, CPR, first aid, um, as different tracks that they can choose mm. as well. So they have a, lot, a wide variety. If they find out yoga is their thing and they want to take four yoga classes, that is perfectly okay. fine. You know, cool. the whole goal is to help them find something um, in their first two years that they like and can integrate into the rest of their time here at MIT and get professional instruction, um, build competence mm -hmm. in that sport or activity, understand how you walk into a yoga studio and what to expect. If they're going to join a um, league, maybe they learn to play soccer and then they know the basic rules of the game, mm -hmm. how to work as a team. Um, they're really introductory courses so students can expand their horizons or um, build even more confidence if they've already been introduced to the activity. And we also hope that they um, are doing this, they're learning these skills and knowledge while getting a, a, enjoying and appreciating and understanding the social component mm -hmm. in a really student-centered um, educational process. So that, that's the, the crux of the, um, the requirement, and there's a swim portion as well. Yeah. And the swim, they can satisfy by taking a swim class as one of their four classes, or they can elect to test out. And there's about 75% of the students um, elect to test out and give it a try. We have a day in the fall that all, all freshmen and coming freshmen can try the swim test, and we see about... Um, 75% of the students passing, and um, they also can do a boat test, um, which is optional, and that allows them to go sailing or join the crew team. Oh, cool. Yeah, so it, it, it really b establishes that life skill why they're here, whether they take a swim class or that they decide to test out. It, it gives them that confidence that they're ready to go on to the next step and experience the Atlantic Ocean or the Charles River or um, you know, join the swim club here. So many cool spots. It's certainly one of the benefits of being um, in Boston, in the greater Boston area. Absolutely. Um, so how, how did you find this? I guess that would be the next question. 
Give us a little bit about your bio and what, what led you down this yeah. path and how you found MIT. Sure, sure. So I um, grew up in Madison, Wisconsin, went to Minnesota and the Twin City campus and did my undergrad in physical education. And then I did my master's degree in sport management and sports psych. And my graduate assistantship while I was at University of Minnesota was um, opening sport facility. Hmm. So an aquatic facility in particular. Cool. <laughs> and in a in aquatic center, generally the way that they're um, staffed these days is the people who are running them are professionals and trained in these different elements that happen in an aquatic center like classes, mm-hmm. um, physical education classes, recreation classes, um, special event management, and uh, whether it's for the varsity team or age group teams. And so I got the exposure to all um, different disciplines, recreation, physical education, and athletics at University of Minnesota and helped open the aquatic center there. And then I moved on to Miami of Ohio um, at that university and helped open another facility, another aquatic facility. So that was kind of my gig was opening um, facility management, developing Mm -hmm. programs. And I was there 10 years and again, worked with the different elements, the physical education, the athletics, and the recreation. And then I came to MIT um, 10 years later and did the same thing. So I helped yeah. open this aquatic center. Oh, cool. And um, I was in that role for three years and I've been, you know, had the opportunity to do that at three different universities and was looking for a chance to um, focus a little bit more in on the educational side. Mm-hmm. And the director of physical education and wellness opened up and I applied. And so I was able to change positions at the same university mm-hmm. here at MIT. Um, and start really digging my teeth into the physical education program and um, started looking at systems that we had. We really needed to improve our registration system, our grading Mm -hmm. system, um, put in online course management and that sort of thing. And once we established that those systems that really support the base of our requirement here, then I started working on curriculum development, which Mm -hmm. is a real creative process. Right. So we work with students. Fun stuff. um, um, surveying students and their interest mm-hmm. and then uh, we put curriculum together we do focus groups of students to make sure it's on target of what they're looking for mm-hmm. in a class on stress management say mm-hmm. it's just such a wide range of things you could cover and we have 12 classes to do that so mm-hmm. we really have to pick and choose what we're going to teach them in classes like nutrition or um, stress management because there's just so much information out there yeah I, I love that challenge though I think it forces yeah. to maybe the, the, there's so much depth like even just nutrition it, it would probably take a two hour uh, preliminary conversation with one person to figure out their individual context and needs and stuff like that to really get to the depth of it but if when the, when that luxury of time is not there um, what are some of like the the anchors uh, that, that you all put out there what's in, the, the in, essence of nutrition mm, um, you know, really with the different courses, we have to look at what what can we teach to students in that period of time where they're going to walk away with basic competence. Right. So um, making sure that they understand how to meal plan, making sure they understand the benefit of eating um, whole foods versus processed foods versus um, meal replacements, you know, mm-hmm. things, we really look at our culture here and identify what are the challenges for, say, eating on campus and work to solve that problem through this yeah. class. And there's some basic components that you want to know about nutrition, but the the message is really addressing the student's needs by doing that. So it's figuring out their needs and teaching it. Obviously, MIT students are very um, bright and have um, taken AP everything. Right. And here's a chance for us to find out, figure out how do we teach um, this information in a complex, interesting way to MIT students that maybe they haven't had the time or taken the time to look into. Right. Or somebody else is taking care of that for them. Mm-hmm. So now here they are, um, young adults on campus trying to navigate life as well as a very rigorous you know, academic curriculum right. in addition to student activities and, and how do they make all this work. And a lot of it comes down to time management, whether mm-hmm. it's stress management, Totally. Solving that issue or nutrition. <laughs> so, you know, time management and how do you plan meals? How can you efficiently go shopping? How can you, um, what are really quick meals to make? And it, it isn't always what should I eat 
although there, there are, you know, we're, we do a lot of myth busting. Yeah. Um, and really look at it from a scientific um, perspective, and obviously they get it real quick. But at the same time, it is um, about helping them navigate. How do I do that? Not just in general, but how do I do that on MIT's campus? Like, mm -hmm. you know, they don't have time to read three more articles to figure out how do I actually get it done or talk right. to a couple more people. So we really try to solve what may be hurdles to them to eat nutritionally or to manage their stress. Yeah, I th well, I think it's incredible. It aligns so well, and we've talked about this, but the approach that we take, the Good Athlete Project takes, we do team and, and um, organization level workshops is always yeah. that. It's, it's sure, we have our anchor concepts, we think this is mm -hmm. what needs to happen, but, it, but we want to look at your site-specific goals and challenges yeah. in order to make this, like you said, in order to increase the level of uptake. Because we could say all we want, you could talk to your blue in the face about micronutrients. Mm -hmm. But um, the very real truth is when you have hyper-ambitious students yeah. who are like literally rocket scientists yeah. and actually changing the world, um, it's not that they don't know that the sleeve of Oreos is bad for you. Yeah. It's like, do I go to Whole Foods and seek out healthy X, Y, and Z, um, or do I continue hacking away at this paper and take what's right beside right. me? So that, that idea of being um, of getting ahead of things, uh, the time management that that seems that seems huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and, and how, how to logistic how to work through the logistics of whatever yeah. the challenge or the barrier is. I think to your point, it's you know is is that's where you're meeting them where they need this. And that's how this is different than maybe some of the other physical education and wellness classes they've had in their life, is we're really right. trying to meet them where they're at. Even if they take a course as um, familiar maybe as tennis, mm -hmm. we're still trying to show them not only the basic skills, but how do you do that at MIT? Mm -hmm. So we take time right. to tell them about the different options in the winter and then the spring and the best times to go and how to deal with the sun and what's the etiquette when you show up at the tennis indoor tennis bubble versus the outdoor courts and you know those things that help yeah. them navigate easily and comfortably, build their confidence. That's such, that, those are such important points. I didn't even thought about the um, what what does it look like when you go to a tennis center? What is etiquette and things like that? I think so many people that I've been happy to consult with um, it's usually some sort of I don't want to say fear but lack of familiarity that makes people uncomfortable for example like not everyone wants to walk into a collegiate level weight room where weights are banging around and the music is yeah. up uh, I'm not sure everyone you mentioned soccer earlier what a cool lifelong skill why wouldn't you be in your 20s and 30s and beyond as you start your professional career uh, and join like a soccer league is one way to meet people and stay fit well one reason is if you were spending your undergraduate years becoming a rocket scientist, maybe that's just not, maybe that isn't too unfamiliar a place for you to just jump into like that. Yeah. So equipping with people with these skills seems yeah. really I, important. I think there are a lot of students at, um, at any college that mm -hmm. have marginalized uh, their physical activity and learning different skills because they're they need to focus and study to say get into MIT. Right. And so a lot I would say you know there's a good portion of our students they come to MIT and they are one of our 750 student athletes on our 33 varsity teams. Right. But if they're not one of those, they are coming through the physical education wellness program to earn their points and a good portion are just awakened because they had put this aside for so long, and they're getting this professional instruction with their peers using biomechanic terms and physiology and um, physics to help them understand the best way to do the tennis serve, say. Mm -hmm. And so the, the type of instruction resonates. It's high quality instruction, and it's very specific to whoever is teaching tennis as opposed to um, a lot of different sports during, say, a semester. Right. So I think they really enjoy that. And I think there's another group that just was marginalized in physical education and wellness in their high school setting. Yeah. And so now, again, they're here with their peers, learning in a way that makes sense to them, mm -hmm. that they're almost having this aha moment that I yes. never thought I could enjoy this. And even students who you know are skeptical and take a class because it fits their schedule and they didn't get exactly what they wanted right usually by week two they're smiling they're so, you know right. they're, they're, they they see that they fit in they see that they can accomplish if 
if they do their part and listen and participate and we do our job of, of educating and teaching and the learning will take place right and it, it builds confidence and enjoyment in that if you do it somewhat well or you on you have the tools to do it well you know our, our goal is to teach them to fish so that they understand all the different cues by the end of the course and they can revisit those cues um, say if they're learning how to swim you're not going to swim incredibly efficiently in six weeks but you should have all the building blocks and then when you go to practice you'll have key cues that that you can come back to so we're, totally. we're really trying to give them all the basics they need to know to um, practice on their own in the aquatic center during the open recreation hours or if they're um, higher skilled or desiring more they can join the club setting oh yeah 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 that makes complete sense and so much of that made sense actually one of the um, this is an intense term but you mentioned we were just talking about Lisa Feldman Barrett's work one of the terms that she used um, reminded me of, of what you just said mm -hmm. it was the uh, it was casual brutality and that sounds mm -hmm. intense but um, you could certainly envision a scenario this is like a tale as old as television at least mm -hmm. of uh, a student being sort of marginalized in a physical education setting mm -hmm. and thereafter developing this unhealthy relationship to the things that would potentially ultimately make them healthy. So to kind of reframe that, to take this time to make people comfortable in that setting, um, hugely important work. Yeah, yeah. I, we had a um, John Rady from Harvard That's was right. speaking at MIT um, to a student audience about his work and um, really explaining um, all of the um, facts behind the benefits of physical activity and the mm -hmm. relationship to better performance whether that's academic performance or otherwise. And um, one student stood up in the crowd and said, you know what, in the, you know, Dr. Rady said, you know, what's your question? He goes, I don't really have a question, but I have a statement. I cannot believe I've never learned this before. I know. And this was in an open forum, a casual situation, but it was just a reminder for us that live in this world, this mm -hmm. belief in sport and physical activity and, and what it can do for um, performance and, and just, Live, improving your life, mm -hmm. um, that not everybody has the opportunity to hear this message because right. they're focused on something else, perhaps. Um, and you know, a lot of the people in the audience were listening to Dr. Ray trying to understand how can we change this in our nation. Mm -hmm. And he had mentioned that he has gone around the country um, making all sorts of presentations which is very compelling in about 45 minutes. He does a fantastic job. Mm -hmm. He said that his biggest challenge is changing every single school board out yeah. there that is um, the board members, by and large, have had a negative experience. And right. those are our decision makers right. for how our students, um, w w the curriculum, mm -hmm. or the focus, or where the budget goes to support the curriculum, um, by and large, is guided by the board so yeah I think that's mm. an interesting challenge of that we all have to figure out how to change that message and and that experience so that people in decision-making roles had a good experience right. and when I think about MIT students or any college graduate they have a fantastic platform they're going to be a leader somehow right. some way right and eat, whether they're a leader amongst their family or a leader of a company um, and they're getting this fundamental skill albeit it's not you know, it's four courses, mm -hmm. but we're hoping at MIT they take that away from them as like, right. that, that's important in everything you do, just like humanities are important. We have a humanities requirement at MIT, right. you know, as brilliant and as focused as you might be on the STEM fields, these two other components are really um, beneficial to having a full life. Yeah, absolutely. Once again, you've touched on a number of things that I want to build on. It's so good. The one one thing that you just hit on was that uh, we ask people frequently, like, if you were giving advice to a future leader, I'm going to ask you this at the end, by the way, so just oh, to so plant the seed. If you were to give advice to a future leader hoping to accomplish something, along, you know, follow a similar career path, what would it be? Mm -hmm. And so many people, like, exercise is one of them. Like, uh, when we talk about daily habits and things that, that uh, advice you give to people, movement, and you just mentioned another one, they say read broadly think brought talk to a lot of different people so exposure like what a cool gift that is for MIT who's known for its engineering to mandate physical education and something in the humanities it just it I mean it makes total sense the challenge is what 
what you and Dr. Rady are talking about. It's funny that you say that. I I literally spoke with Dr. Rady today just mm-hmm. via email. Mm-hmm. He's actually out of the country oh, uh, doing one of those talks that you were talking talks. about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, just very, very interesting uh, stuff. And I forgot whatever the third one is. But, yeah. it's, but it does seem like, <clears throat> you're right, people who are in this field, people who are near it, don't need a ton of explanation. They felt it, they live it, they, they get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, it does seem that there, like there might be some work to be done on the side of convincing people who are in these governing sort of positions. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, I keep coming back to this book because one thing that, that Lisa is so good at is explaining how the brain is not fully car- compartmentalized in the ways that we think it is. Meaning uh, an engineer's brain, like you can't just go tickle the engineering network in your brain. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? A brain is a brain, and if exercise is enhancing to that feature that mm-hmm. and, and the functions of it, yeah. um, that's something we should know about. Yeah. And I'll tell you just, uh, you know, that, that student who stood up and asked the question, I'm not kidding. I, uh, I'm almost getting choked up thinking about this. <laughs> when I thought about, um, well, there's so many storylines within this that, like, really resonate with, with me heavily, but um, when we ran our first very basic, not in scientifically rigorous study at, at Nutria High School with the, with a group of students in what we call our Spark Study Club, named after John Reed's book, oh, Spark. Okay. Um, we got some write-ins, and like the data was whatever it was, but the write-ins were especially compelling. And one of them was to the student who had had some, who had been diagnosed with ADD, or you know, I think, I think most, I think we all have ADD. To a, that's a different yeah. podcast, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but the student who'd, who'd struggled throughout. Did this writing, and it was just a very plain and simple sentence. Why doesn't everyone already know this? And it's it's like um, the truth of it is, I think we do, and I think we've turned our backs on it. Mm-hmm. Um, does the name David Foster Wallace mean anything? That I gotta give familiar, you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a note of this right now. Um, there is a there's a speech that he gave at Kenyon College uh, in 2005. That has since been turned into a book, and it's a. It's. I'll send you the link to to watch it. Also, okay. uh, it's called "This Is Water," okay. and it, it it essentially it talks about the idea that that these very plain and obvious truths that exist in the world, like we all have the capacity to get them, but we also all frequently overlook them because they seem so obvious. Like the idea that we are all mobile creatures is a truth. It's the truth of the world, yeah. but we turn our back on it and we create systems of sedentary, you know, the school system is highly sedentary, but most professional occupations are highly sedentary. Mm-hmm. So we know it, we just don't follow it. Right, right. So, we, we don't, we, we follow what has been done before as opposed to thinking a little differently or applying the basics. That's right. And experimenting a little bit. Totally. Yeah. Um, so how did you find your passion for all of this? Were you an athlete? What did that? What did your uh, athletic career look like? Yeah, so I grew up and um, had the opportunity to participate in a lot of different sports. And as I think back, I you know my parents are very supportive of you know ballet this year, gymnastics this year, and it wasn't the time of you need to be in year-round sports. We did have the opportunity to play to three different sports in high school, and I loved to dabble. I loved. Hmm. I just love movement, you know, personally and. Um, I enjoyed that area of my life, and when I went to college, I was initially looking at going into journalism, hmm. and because I wanted to, I really liked education in general, and I was thinking doing documentaries would be a great cool. um, avenue, and the way that journalism was at the time is you had to be an excellent writer and um, orator, etc., to to do that job and so those are some hurdles for me to get through so I kind of had a crux moment where I had to make a decision do I do what I'm good at and love or do I follow this path what I think might work so anyway I I decided to go into kinesiology um, pursued physical education in teaching Mm -hmm. which I loved and um, then I went right on to get my master's degree and had a graduate assistantship at University of Minnesota in helping um, uh, in facility management, special event management, education of the aquatic center. And so that was a really great avenue to um, learn all the different aspects of 
what what could be. Initially, when I went to grad school, I thought I might be an athletic director. Right. And then this world opened up to me in facility management and recreation management and event management that I hadn't even thought of. And so I, I tend to be a person that likes a lot of variety. Sure. And so go, in order to be an athletic director, the coaching, you need to focus on being a coach and, and, and gaining that skill set. And mm -hmm. that, that's a pretty focused um, track for right. quite a few years. And I really enjoyed um, and found I was pretty good at administration. So um, I've been able to wear multiple hats in my positions of mm -hmm. teacher, administrator, and really enjoyed it. So, you know, I guess that's how I found myself in this role today is through the, the graduate assistantship really yeah. opened my eyes to the possibilities. Hmm. Very cool. Uh, and I guess an extension of that is with all of that on your plate, uh, what do you do currently to stay physically fit? What does your activity mm -hmm. level look like now? That's a really good question. So about 10 years ago, I got into um, sprint triathlons and wow. this, this, there was a women's group um, that they were, they, this uh, woman created a triathlon group for women. And I thought oh, this would be a good way for me to meet some friends. I'm new to the area. And um, I kind of had my job under control. I thought I had some time to do this. And I really um, love one phrase that she said. She goes, when's the last time you did something for the first time? Hmm. And I had these different elements. I grew up knowing how to swim, never really. You know, I was a lifeguard, but not on swim team. And I, I jog, I wouldn't say I run. Mm -hmm. um, I bike, I didn't really race. So I had the components and I'm like, here's a perfect thing for me to get into. And so I've been, I got into that pretty seriously for about um, five, six, seven years and um, really enjoyed it. It was a really great way to put different components together, keep your training mixed up and, and sure. um, keep the variety there, keep it fresh, keep yourself inspired and a group of people that do that are pretty hardcore and dedicated. Um, I focus on the sprint, which is the shorter side. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's manageable to get that done if you can squeeze out an hour, sure. say 15 minutes a day. Um, and, and today I still dabble in those different sports. I um, also like to cross country ski in the winter. Cool. Yeah, I love cardio. Are there activity. spots around here for that? Or do you have to go up to like yeah, New Hampshire? It's, you know, there's spots around here, but it's a little tough because the snow comes. Mm -hmm. And then generally, with the exception of 2015, it disappears. Right, so it right, comes right, for right. about a week and then it disappears. So if it's melting on the weekend when you have time, it's a little tough. But you right. can always, you know, New Hampshire's an hour and a half away. There's right. all kinds of trails. So I probably get out three, four times a year, you know, not, not like when I was in the Midwest when the snow would come in November and stay till February, March. Right. <laughs> Can I tell you, um, the last time I was here, it was it was our spring break. Yeah. Had we gone to, do you remember, um, we were about to host a powerlifting meet in Minnesota. Had we gone to, or did we? I don't think, I, I don't remember you talking about it. I, I think, think you was, talked about it coming up. But I think it was just coming up. Yeah. I'm going to have to show you a video in a second. Yeah. Um, the, um, it was, I want to say it was like April 14th. Okay. And... There, and 15 inches of snow came down, mm -hmm. just to support your, your point. In the middle of April. It was actually pretty cool. We were at St. Olaf College. Yeah. Uh, we have a chapter out there, great people. Yeah. Um, let me see if I can find this video for you. But it was, actually it was great for audience retention because mm -hmm. nobody could leave. There's like a whiteout. Um, but it, yeah, it, was, it was pretty wild. Yeah. Is that where you developed your appreciation for cross-country skiing? Was I actually yeah, grew up um, skiing um, in just cross-country skiing recreationally with my family and um, I'd go up to a race in um, northern Wisconsin called the Berkabiner and they had a short race called the Court Lopet which was like a half marathon distance but beautiful course through northern Wisconsin woods and nice. um, got a bunch of friends to do that so I just did it recreationally and um, since being out uh, in Miami of Ohio, very temperate, mm -hmm. just an um, hour north of Cincinnati, so there's not a lot of snow. We right. might might have had you know one or two days of snow on the ground. We would have to literally take a vacation day to go skiing, skiing to appreciate oh, really? it. There you <laughs> like, go. It was so infrequent. Really? But out I here... That's right. I didn't realize how far south in the state yeah. Oxford is. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize Yeah, that. it's just north of Cincinnati. Yeah. 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 But out here, sorry. Yeah. So out here... Um, 
you know, there's there's opportunity, more opportunities for sure. And mm -hmm. to drive north is not a big deal. Right. Yeah, hour and a half on a freeway is pretty easy to get to lots and lots of downhill and cross and cross country skiing. How far up are the White Mountains? Is that is that so, now or is yeah. so they're in New Hampshire. So we yeah. take our backpacking course, one of our extreme PEs. Um, we take our students up there. It's about three hours. Cool. Yeah, it's beautiful. And you know to, to go in the fall when the leaves are changing. Oh um, yeah. So we go over Columbus Day weekend and over pa Patriots Day weekend. The students have. Um, the weekend plus two days, so it's a good time. We take them for three days and come back and get caught up in their homework. And it's incredible. And in the spring, um, there's still snow on the ground up there, so they learn how to snowshoe as well. Love it. Yeah, yeah. The um, I asked because I'm just like completely enamored with New Hampshire. Yeah. I I um I drove. I have so much to show you. It's silly to take out my phone and try to show you pictures while we're talking on a podcast, <laughs> but. Um, I went out there. My friend uh, Andrew Gray, his family has a had a cabin up there, and it was in like this is like no cell reception country. Yeah. It was incredible. Yeah. Lots of space, mm -hmm. um, no cell reception, and the stuff's not downloading right now. But but like bears, I saw bears oh, when yeah. I was out there. <laughs> um, it was just incredible. Yeah, um, I think the um, the outdoor classes not only take students off campus, but experiencing the outdoors for more than a day, I think gives you this profound change in perspective. Yeah. And you realize the world is so much bigger than your set or your paper that's due next week, that there's some pretty incredible things going on with the colleagues that you're with, it, but you know, looking at the mountains and the leaves and nature and mm -hmm. just appreciating how uh, how the world was, you know, is put together, right. and all those different pieces. Of it. And when we challenge the students to think about how their career path impacts um, or intersects, say, yeah. with nature. So when totally. we go to the White Mountains, we have a speaker. Um, I think he started at MIT and, and um, ended up graduating from Yale. I think his name is Dave Public Cover, and he does a presentation on wind power in New England, hmm. and it's really showing like how this engineering feat intersects with nature positively and negatively and right. the students have a great experience of reflecting on their own career path whatever it may be and just thinking a little bit more about rather than just solving the problem but what are the impacts intended or unintended hmm. that their career path has and this is out of a physical education and That's so class cool. right you know so um, their, their reflection papers are fantastic you know we just ask them to comment on five or six different questions and um, in, in a short weekend they get so much out of that. Yeah, that's incredible and inspiring. I like, I, I didn't think of that thought, but like what does, um, what does, how does wind power fit into the existing ecosystem uh, and what are the effects of, of the installation of those, all that kind of stuff. Very interesting. Um, have you noticed, coming from where you grew up and went to school, mm -hmm. have you noticed a difference in you? Because I'd imagine mm -hmm. um, here doesn't give you, I, I know you have access to the mountains and yeah. to trails and things like yeah. that, but probably not as readily as Wisconsin and Minnesota. Yeah. Um, you know, we, my husband and I moved from Miami of Ohio um, here because of water mountains and snow so oh, we're wow. looking to improve our recreation and be gainfully employed so um, we are fortunate that we we could achieve that so we sail so oh, nice. sailing on the ocean is you know what we do every weekend in the summer um, and uh, we have the snow that we can seek out in the winter mm -hmm. and the mountains if we want as well so it's it's improved our recreation I would say for sure but we're also further along in our career and sure. better at life work balance than maybe we were in our 30s and 40s so yeah. fair that's fair um yeah you have to come back to that frequently um perspective matters right right absolutely um what do you think some of the biggest challenges at this place are mm. for students um staff i kind of think it'd be interesting to in general to go from both mm -hmm. from both directions yeah yeah, yeah. I think this is such an amazing campus. I put um, the MIT homepage on my, um, as my homepage because 
every day there's something new going on here. Mm -hmm. It just reminds you of what an incredible place you are at in the platform we have to reach students, yeah. um, staff and faculty. You know, the center serves everybody mm -hmm. as well as the community. Um, mm -hmm. And so from, I think it's, it's very fast paced. There's a lot going on. I think it could serve as a distraction hmm. um, or an asset, right? Sure. And it's about managing that. And I think our students, no different than um, you know, young professionals, you're always juggling um, this work-life balance. And how long will it take if I get involved in the ballroom dance club versus um, the car building club or another lab or if I um, do a research project with a professor, like any of these extracurricular, I think are a challenge. And I, a lot of us, I think just in general, think more is better. And I yeah. think finding what you like is important and finding what will fit in your life path is important. That's somebody had a, a saying that, um, you can you can do anything, but you can't do everything. Yeah. And that to me was very freeing. It's like okay, good, yeah, okay, I can do anything, but yeah. I need to make some choices here. Yeah. Right? And yeah, being yeah. somebody who likes an eclectic life, whether it's at work or or just in general different activities, I think it's really easy to get you know involved in a lot of stuff and um, maybe lose how well you're eating or lose mm -hmm. time to work out or you know something of your self-care can go away sure and I think that's a challenge for our students as well as um, our faculty here as well as staff I mean people who are hired here and stay here are heart chargers right mm -hmm. they want to be on the cutting edge they like being part of greatness and whatever their um, job is they want to do it to the best of their ability so you're surrounded with a lot of type A's so you have to certainly check yourself and encourage each other um, to think a little bit about self-care. I think MIT's done a nice job in the last five or six years really um, advocating for uh, that type of culture of, of care for students, for themselves, staff for themselves, but also for each other in our community as a whole. So there's been more and more um, initiatives on campuses. I think there are a lot of different campuses of um, making sure that that's important, um, in particular during stressful times like finals. You know, they'll sure. do the pet a puppy and have different stressful oh, nice. breaks. And, you know, all those things that um, you wish you had time to do, but you marginalize. Right. You know, in the sake of um, trying to be good at as a student or good as a staff or good as a faculty so I think you know that I think that's a challenge anywhere but I think here you know not only they're all that going on campus but then you're in the Boston proper right. area right and whether it's your passion sports and following all the professional leagues or it's mm -hmm. um, the historical opportunities here there's just so much going on totally yeah yeah no it's a good point and actually it's a perfect transition to our lightning round where the first question is, because uh, it makes sense, wh what is one habit that you have adopted that you, you couldn't do without? One thing that makes you successful? Mm. I would have to, if I can go with two, I would yes. say I, I have to do something physical at least four times a week. Okay. If, I don't, if I don't get a 30, 40 minute workout and up anything. Right. Fast walking to uh, uh, swim, to cross country ski, a kayak, whatever it might be. Sure. Um, that really keeps my perspective mm -hmm. of, of what's, gives me time, I use that time to think. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, at this stage of my life, I'm not um, training to you know win a race or anything like that. I'm, I use that time to, to um, just, taking the surroundings, adjust my perspective, and that sort of thing. But I also say just being organized is key in, in such a fast-paced environment. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I would imagine that's the same, yeah. you know, in any place. But, you know, figuring out a way for you that you can keep yourself organized is key for to success. Huge. I'm going to go uh, lightning round question, habits sub A. <laughs> okay. Because the organization, what is your best, what, what are some of your organizational strategies? Because I will tell you, 
a unifying idea uh, between anyone who is trying to get to the next level of things. I like the quote that you said, people who stay here are hard chargers. They like being part of greatness. I love that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people who we've had on the podcast are very similar to that. Uh, or they're entrepreneurial or they're, or they're trying to be part of something or do something that's not been done before. And for that reason, there's not an exact script. Uh, and you, you mentioned you started all these programs. You, you were at the ground level. What are some key organizational strategies for people who like to live uh, in, with a little bit of chaos and excitement around mm, them? Yeah. For me, it's, it's writing things down. Mm-hmm. And because there's so many thoughts that run through your head mm-hmm. that will end up making a program great or teaching a class better or um, running a meeting more efficiently or effectively that you see that if you don't, I don't think any of us are capable of keeping all those things in our head. And um, so I tend to make lists and I've recently tried to go paperless and so I'll just keep it on my, so I might write it down here on a piece of paper, but I'll go to my computer and write mm-hmm. it down so it doesn't go into the ether, right. <laughs> you know, right. some paper file somewhere. Um, so for me, me, it's key to, to write it down, but revisit it. Mm. Um, I can't tell you how many conferences I've got, went to as a young professional and wrote pages of notes, just soaking all this education in and loving it and coming back going, oh, I want to implement everything and getting either overwhelmed or um, I think there was a phase in my life where I go, you know, there's so much going on here with startup that's a nice idea it gets shelved so what i challenge myself now whether it's um you know i've learned so much from you you know just taking a few notes here that i make sure get into my priority list to to look up sooner than later sure um to implement but identifying what's what's doable and tangible now but have a big parking lot for yourself too Hmm. so that you're comfortable letting go of great ideas because the timing might not be right in your life at MIT in my particular program that I'm thinking about this or with the people that may be in place right now that that might not be their skill set but it's still a great idea yeah it would be good for MIT to pursue um, something so I think for me um, revisiting that list when I get home from a conference just force myself to um, I scan my notes and still store them electronically, but then pick three things, mm-hmm. you know, no more than three things, one of three things that I'll implement this year, no matter how big or small, hmm. so that you're getting something out of that workshop and MIT is as well, who, yeah. you know, is sponsoring a majority of that opportunity too. Hmm. I like it. I think that's really good advice, actually. So paper and pen, transitioning that into the computer, are those the, the main tools you use for organization? Or yeah, do you use, I, are there any I, programs you use or apps? You know, I, I, I try to keep it what's in front of me. So what's yeah. in front of me every day is Outlook. So okay. I set up um, folders or appointments, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody shared this technique with me that I found was invaluable. So I put a meeting, say, on Sunday when I'm typically not here, and it might be Carrie's folder and another one for the interns, another one for uh, meetings or something like meeting topics. And then it's a reoccurring meeting on my calendar and it's always there. So every week I can click on that and see my lists. So I do categorize them, but I found using a tool that I'm in every single day is more beneficial than having three or four things that I'm revisiting because likely you're not going to do it every day. Right. So just setting up a reoccurring appointment in a, whatever calendaring system that you have, um, I think works really well. That's a, I think that's a really uh, cool strategy. A very good one. Um, okay. What was the first concert you went to? Ooh, yes. Yeah. Yes, you will answer this question? No, yes. Oh. The group, yes. In Madison, Wisconsin. I think that was my first concert. Can you tell me one song by Yes? Oh, goodness. I'm not sure I know this band. I don't know. They, they've got maybe two hit wonders. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Roundabout? Does that sound familiar? If you could sing a bar of it, I could tell you. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know the song. Does this sound familiar? Oh, I recognize this already. Oh, that's intense. You yeah. went to see them? Did. It was, I think I was in high school too. I'm not sure what my parents were thinking. <laughs> Cut that out. Cut that, <laughs> no. Alex. Cut that. 
Uh, excellent. I think it's very cool. Um, okay, well, how about this? If not this, what? If you weren't in this position, um, weren't in this profession, what, what, where do you think you'd be? What would you like to be doing? I think I may have pursued the journalism oh, yeah. track, okay. right? And yeah. so I think, you know, it's a way of sharing with the world. Mm -hmm. um, and I like the idea of sharing with a lot of people versus a small group sure. deep, but giving basic knowledge, critical knowledge to people as many people as I can, mm -hmm. I guess. So I really like the idea of, of documentaries. I always mm -hmm. loved um, National Geographic, right? The combination of the visuals and the messages were yeah. pretty pure. Yeah. yeah, I love that. It's a great answer. Um, okay, finally, advice to a leader, future leader, you knew this was coming. Okay. <laughs> uh, advice to a future leader hoping to pursue a similar path. I would say do as many internships as you can. Mm. I did um, a site visit on a TV set once, and it wasn't an internship, but it gave me a window into what would this be like if I went into broadcast journalism. Yeah. And I liked what I saw, um, but had I, say, done an internship for even a couple weeks, I may have understood a little better, quicker than taking a year of college courses, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, what that career path was like. So right. I think we have a, we just grow up with a lot of assumptions of what thing what career paths are like and we have a pretty good sense of what we're good at and what we like. But ideally I would I was always looking for something I I loved. Right. You know, I wasn't necessarily chasing a high dollar job, but a career path that I was generally interested in and um, would make meaning in my life. Yeah. And so I think any, if you can do different internships, that's helpful to really get a handle on what you and, and quantify what you think and, and make sure that you confirm that is a direction that's viable and what you thought you yeah. were getting yourself into. That's fair. Um, I think in our, our career paths, I guess what I would say is keep your mind open. Hmm. Um, did I expect to be at MIT? Um, leading a uh, physical education and wellness program had no idea right sure. but I knew I liked education and I pursued that and um, learned that I was good at administration and tried to find a job where I could do both um, teaching and administration I think administration is uh, universal leadership skill whether mm -hmm. you're teaching um, or you're a 100% administrator, you know, you, you need those skills. And so yeah. if you can get good at teaching and administration, I think that will propel you because not a lot of people either are good at both or take the time to get good at both. So right. that to me is a real advantage. If, if you try to give yourself a broad skill set um, and check out different paths, I think you can be more efficient in your career building, if you will. And, yeah. um, you know, things open up. I think networking is key, going to conferences. I, I had a lot of opportunities in my graduate assistantship um, and throughout my career to go to at least one or two national conferences a year, yeah. try to network, do simple things as don't sit with your colleagues, meet hmm. other people, sure? and, and then stay connected with them the best you can. You know, find something in common with different people um, because that network can help you expose you to different career paths, different mm -hmm. opportunities that you might not have thought of. And yeah. th to me, there's just so much in the world of sport or the world of administration or the world of teaching. You know, I think that's excellent. And I think there's, there's, there's a lot of proof in that concept out there. In fact, I'll give an anecdotal reference to a, an incomplete reference to a, uh, a situation that happened in the world of science. And I don't remember exactly what they were doing, but I know that, um, there was a lab, let's say it was at Stanford, and then another lab that was at um, a less well-known school, less name-brand school. Uh, and they were both trying to figure out the same thing. And this is really abstract. I wish it could be more yeah. concrete. They say it was um, split the atom. That's not what it was. But, but they just <laughs> yeah, had a, they had, they had a project. Um, and it, it, this just rings true based on what you just said. Um, this, the, the Stanford scientists the Stanford lab was comprised of primarily Stanford people and it was and it was like you said getting away from your colleagues or whatever 
that lab um, did fine. They did pretty well. But it was the other lab that ultimately won out. Uh, and I want to say it was a lab potentially in Minnesota mm -hmm. at a at, at not University of Minnesota, but maybe it was at like Mankato or something like that. I don't know. I shouldn't even name because I'm not sure. But they didn't have the luxury of essentially um, training all their own people and welcoming their own into their lab. So they had to kind of pick and choose and get all this disparate sort of array of, of perspectives and, and all that stuff. Yeah. And, and those perspectives coming together sort of coalesced and, and got to the answer a lot faster than the, the, the silo of really intelligent people, for sure, but that, who hadn't exposed themselves perhaps in the way that you're yeah. kind of talking to, to get out there, to try internships, to go to conferences, to meet new people. Yeah. Um, I would even expand that to say, if, if you have a chance to go abroad, go abroad. Mm -hmm. I, I had the opportunity after my after high school, between yeah. high school and the summer between high school and college to go abroad. It was only three months, but it just, to see how people live differently expands your appreciation of the world and expands your your your, your worldview yeah. um, so that you're expanding your 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 realm of possibilities mm -hmm. of how you think even and and to your point about that's a really interesting example about the two universities because that's exactly what the the um, leadership or diversity research shows right if you get an eclectic group of people or a diverse group of people you're going to have different walks of life represented at the table and it may be harder to move through because you have 10 different perspectives at the table versus 10 from one state or one university mm -hmm. uh, and way of thinking but in the end you have such a better product because yeah. you've considered all these different things different perspectives as you're problem solving or yeah. leading change so yeah i think that's super important super i totally agree and, and hearing you say that reminded me of this other element of that comparison and it was that um, when it was sort of a homogenous group um, they were they, they'd run a study they wouldn't get the answer that they were after and then they put it aside said oh something must have messed up let's do this again because right. you know because there weren't those uh, perspectives and worldviews whereas the other group said um, we, we ran the study we didn't get the answer we expected let's look closely at that and draw from the experiences of all the people around us think where where could that lead the research next yeah um, Super interesting stuff. Yeah. Well, uh, okay, so listen, you're invited back at any time you want, of course. I hope you know that. Um, thank you so much for sitting down with us. Thanks for all the work you do. Thank you for support of the project and, and all the important stuff that you are putting into the world. Oh, it's great so. to, it, what you're doing with your project, the Good Athlete Project's amazing and you. you know, know we're behind it and also that, you know, that the message in the time, the extra effort that, you and, and um, the different sites put in. I mean, it, it's gonna, it will reflect itself in 10, 20 years, but know it's making a difference every day. This week's episode is brought to you by Remind Recover. Remind Recover is a supplement that helps athletes support brain health. Similar to how you drink a protein shake to help your muscles recover after a workout, Remind Recover has been scientifically formulated to give you the nutritional building blocks to help support healthy brain function. I am a huge fan of Remind Recover. It is as close to the science as any supplement I've seen, and feel free to check out their website for more. It's remindrecover.com. And when you go there, if you want to place an order, and I recommend it, use the code GOODATHLETE for a discount on checkout.